Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, uh, Conversations on New Jersey Education. This is an edition of School Law Today, where we talk about uh, legal issues in school law. Our topic today is special education. There will be a discussion on FAPE, IDEA, and, and the courts, the Supreme Court in this case, uh, and what board members should know uh, in special education. My guest with me today will be um, uh, John Comagno from the Comagno Law Group. Uh, welcome, John. Thank you, Ray. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. And just tell us a little briefly about uh, your law group and a little bit about yourself. Our firm concentrates its practice in education law uh, nationally. In New Jersey and Pennsylvania, we represent uh, over 60 uh, public school districts, independent schools, charter schools, uh, ESCs, or education specialists. Uh, I lecture nationally and litigate uh, nationally. Uh, our passion is education law, and uh, a predominant focus of my practice is uh, disability-based uh, education law, both special education and Section 504. All right. And we'll be getting into a lot of those topics uh, because in special education, there, I mean, it is guided by a lot of the legal parameters at the federal and state level. Um, so it is – I think an area that school board members and school administrators need to be aware of the procedures because it, it's driven by the procedures. Um, but let's get started. Uh, one of the things that you wanted to discuss was what is FAPE? Uh, and I'm going to get really basic. I want you to tell us what FAPE is, but I also want you to tell you what it stands for. Sure. So uh, understanding and, and getting to the issue of exposure, compliance, risk in public schools today uh, special education compliance, special education litigation, 504 litigation, ADA litigation, near the top of the list of exposure, uh, similar to employment practice litigation, discrimination claims, uh, failure to accommodate claims, things like that. It, that issue is tied to what FAPE is, Ray. FAPE is an acronym, F-A-P-E, stands for Free and Appropriate Public Education, which is the legal entitlement set by the U.S. Congress in a law first passed in 1975, then known as the Education of All Handicapped Children Act, reauthorized on three subsequent occasions and renamed the IDEA, or the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act in 1990. Uh, FAPE is the standard that applies to students eligible for the provision of special education. Uh, here in New Jersey, we refer to those uh, those students as classified students uh, across the river in PA. They refer to them as identified students. But FAPE goes to their entitlement and, and what their rights are uh, to service and process and protection, which is different than that enjoyed by general ed students who here in New Jersey, state constitution, are entitled to T&E or thorough and efficient public education. Mm-hmm. So FAPE is... For the special ed student, and the, I guess districts should be aware that this is the the guiding principle, the standard that they must meet uh, when they do place, placements for students. That's correct, and I, I often speak of the differences in in lecturing and in explaining these different rights. You know, I speak of three students: uh, Johnny General Ed, Billy Five Hundred Four, Susie Special Ed. 
Johnny General Ed has a right to thorough and efficient instruction in the Common Core. Uh, has a right to come in, receive that curriculum. He has a right to access extracurriculars uh, privileges so long as he follows the rules. And uh, upon completion of requirements, will be graduated. That's it. You know, we don't sit around and consider whether or not we need to provide additional supports for that learning. We don't sit around and say, how does he best learn chemistry? You know, good teachers do, but there's no legal obligation. Susie Special Ed uh, has a right to all of that, but we recognize there's a disabling condition which is impacting that progress, impacting that interaction in general education and that learning. Mm -hmm. So her entitlement's not just general ed. Her entitlement, in addition, is to special education and related services. Special education, again, the FAPE, focuses on that disability, focuses on how that disability impacts learning, and is intended to provide access to the general education, learning to the general education. It's in, intended to unlock, break down the barrier of the disability to make sure that that student is, is learning. Uh, the 1990 reauthorization characterized FAPE as, as this, uh, quote, to ensure that all children with disabilities have available to them FAPE, free appropriate public education, that emphasizes special ed and related services designed to meet their unique needs and prepare them for employment and independent living, end quote. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about what the standard is. We're talking about what that expectation is. We're talking about today, you know, sitting here June 2017, what's the expectation public schools in meeting this federal standard? What does FAPE mean? As, as we get into this, uh, I mean, that's how the law was written for you. I should mention, if anyone's listening, they can dial 1-347-989-8904 and press 1. To let, and our mic who's operating our switchboard will take your question. So uh, if you want to ask John a question or uh, give a comment, or you can do it on our chat room. Uh, you will have to register with uh, Blog Talk Radio, uh, but there is no fee for that if you want to ask a question in the chat room. So FAPE is the standard, but is that if someone and it's written down, but in the past that has been taken to court, I am assumed by, you know, a parent may have a different opinion in the school district. Sure. Uh, so do the courts decide what FAPE is or if the district's meeting FAPE or not meeting FAPE? And what were sure. your decisions in the past over the last, uh, you know, 15 years or so? So, so the issue of FAPE and how we define FAPE, uh, I think, takes into consideration just how sweeping the entitlement is, this expansion of rights between Johnny General Ed, Susie Special Ed. I mentioned Billy 504 before. Uh, 504 we'll refers get to, 504, to the Rehabilitation that's Act. That's a separate question. Right. Uh, almost a step in between, but mindful that 504 are also general ed students. So this question of what FAPE is and how courts define it and look at it, it changes the right uh, the regulation I just quoted for you, Ray, uh, speaking to unique needs, preparation for employment, independent living, these are general concepts. Uh, free appropriate. What's appropriate for one student is going to be obviously different than appropriate for another student because the impact of the disability is going to be different. The cognitive ability between the students uh, is going to be different. Uh, so the federal Congress in passing the first law, the EHCA in 75, didn't say that FAPE means grade-level learning. 
It didn't say it means half a grade level learning. It didn't say that uh, a student who was in second grade uh, at the age of eight years old, nine years old, uh, is going to be learning uh, equivalent to national normed age or grade standards. It speaks to these general concepts, mindful that we've got a dozen different categories of eligibility. You've got students uh, classified as autism uh, or autistic, students that are emotionally disturbed, specific learning disabled, other health impaired, multiply disabled. Uh, there are 12 different categories. So you've got different, quote, disabilities. You've got students from literally early intervention, uh, infancy, to preschool disabled, three to five, and then uh, five to age of 21 eligibility. Uh, you've got uh, all those different uh, categories of eligibility, ages and grades, plus you've got different continuum stops. So is this a student who's going to receive service in an inclusive setting next to general ed students? Is this a student who's going to have services pushed in by a special ed teacher? Is this a student who's going to be pulled out uh, partial day, whole day? And that's all just in a, in a neighborhood school. Uh, what about those students who are out of district? What about those students who are residentially placed? So the point is we've got an incredible sweeping continuum of need and ability and disability. How do we reach a uniform standard? And courts have struggled with that, and practitioners have struggled with that, and parents have struggled with that literally for 40 years since passage of the EHCA itself. So the first time that the U.S. Supreme Court uh, endeavored to address this, you know, to, to your specific question, uh, looks back to uh, a case in 1982, uh, Rowley. And uh, the Rowley decision uh, looked at what FAPE was and what progress was with regard to a student that uh, was largely inclusively placed, a student with a specific learning difficulty, but a student who was uh, largely included. Uh, parents were challenging that the services that the student uh, was receiving were not the services that the student should have been receiving, that she should have been receiving more. Uh, but the court looked at what appropriate was in that setting and uh, answered the question of what FAPE is as specific to that student and the provision of service. And, and what comes from that is, is this standard. Uh, whether or not the IEP is, quote, reasonably calculated to enable the child to receive educational benefit. Now, again, that doesn't say grade level. That doesn't say half grade level. Uh, in that case, uh, since the student was largely inclusively placed, sitting next to mainstream peers, the court considered that uh, the student could access grade-level curriculum, and if the student was making grade-level progress, that the IEP there likely uh, was, quote-unquote, reasonably calculated to enable the child to receive educational benefit. But the significant question that was left, Ray, and one that our Supreme Court just this year in February uh, addressed and answered, is what about those students who are farther out on the continuum? What about those students whose cognitive difficulties, their behavioral difficulties, their physical difficulties, whatever it might be, prevent them from accessing education in that mainstream classroom, that inclusive classroom? How do we gauge what FAPE is there? And, and that was 
what the court and Andrew looked at. Before you get into Andrew, so it seems that the, the, the decision that was made before is kind of like an individualized, fate, almost depends on the student in the scenario. Uh, is that what we were going as a, a practice, that it was kind of a, a case-by-case uh, Absolutely. look at Absolutely. And I, I understand so, that because it does kind of make sense because no, there are so many different scenarios that you can have, even even in one school building. So is that so? There was no guiding principle. It was kind of like you looked at FAPE and you looked at your student uh, and you tried to give them the best education they could within that system and for their learning disability. Is that the way people were uh, professionals were uh, being guided? Yes, I think that's a fair characterization. And, you know, again, uh, the Congress's language and USDOE's enabling regulation language from 1990, speaking of uh, FAPE considering unique needs, means, just as you said, we're looking at the individual. Uh, we don't have a more general standard. We're going to look to the individual. We're going to look to the individual's needs. We're going to look to the impact of that difficulty. We're going to consider certain factors, uh, but we're, we're going to look to uh, individual need. In Rowley, again, 1982, the court considered whether the student was integrated in a regular class. Uh, was the student achieving, quote-unquote, passing marks? Was the student, quote-unquote, advancing between grades? Uh, that was the, the standard that was held up because we recognize, and again, your, your terms, individual, unique needs, we recognize that we're writing on a blank chalkboard for the classified student. And an IEP is essentially giving liberty to the IEP team, the experts, including the parents, to consider what's the impact of the difficulty on that student's learning. So we're going to, in many ways, step out of the, the general ed curriculum and standard and modify it based on that individual need. So how is that individual need addressed? How, um, how specifically, how comprehensively uh, is it addressed? And then when we're gauging FAPE, we get to a very important term. And this is a thread, I think, that we can see from 30 years, from rally on to the present time, and it's reinforced in Andrew. And that's the word progress. What progress is made? We mm-hmm. recognize there's an impact on learning, so we'll individualize instruction and expectation. So here it is in the IEP, and here you go. Here you go, faculty and staff and parents and student. The next step is gauging the progress. Is progress being made? If progress is not being made, does that mean FAPE's not provided, the standard's not met, or not? And, and that's a question that gets looked at and, and we see sharpened over time. Okay, so now we so let's get into Andrew, I guess, because I guess people can have different interpretations of uh, if you're meeting paper, not parents, and or the district could have differences of opinion because there's a variety of standards as we understand. So, what's the Andrew case do, and how does that fit into all this? So, Andrew different than the plaintiff litigant student in Rowley, uh, Andrew F is not a student eligible for special ed as specific learning disabled. This is not a student who's accessing uh, mainstream educational services. This is a student who is on the autism spectrum, uh, limited verbal uh, uh, abilities, significant behavioral difficulties uh, impacting learning, and uh, largely 
restrictively educated in that the student is, we would refer here in New Jersey to uh, a self-contained or special education classroom. So mm -hmm. engaging FAPE uh, and progress, we can't say it's passing grades in the curriculum. We can't say it's moving from the third grade curriculum to the fourth grade curriculum, et cetera. The student's curriculum is almost wholly individually created. And the question that is presented to the U.S. Supreme Court is in that circumstance, when we have a student who is uh, not receiving instruction day to day, wholly in the general ed, what's sufficient progress? What is meaningful benefit? Uh, that language from Rally, how do we determine whether the IEP is quote unquote reasonably calculated to enable a child to receive educational benefit? Is the service, the instruction, the learning that Andrew's engaged in, is it enough? Is it sufficient? Does it meet the FAPE standard? Uh, that's the issue that the court looked at in Andrew. All right, and that was, I guess, assume brought by the parents to the. So, uh, yeah, and and I'll 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 keep going here with with my discussion of the case. Uh, the Supreme Court, in a unanimous decision. Uh, an 8-0 decision. We didn't have our most recent justice uh, on the court at the time. This was decided and released in February, so it was, it was an 8-0 decision. Uh, first talked about rally. First set the stage in comparing students on the continuum. On the continuum, uh, the parents in this case, uh, I can liken to the uh, uh, 2017 New England Patriots uh, in losing three quarters and winning the Super Bowl. Uh, the parents lost at the hearing level, the administrative level. They lost at the district court level. They went up to the Tenth Circuit, U.S. Court of Appeals. So they appealed up. They have parents have the, those process rights. They appealed up into the federal court system. Uh, they lost there. The uh, Tenth Circuit, and this is very important for our school board members here in New Jersey and practitioners to understand, because this gets to what I think is a maybe the most important question facing us practitioners here in New Jersey, and, and that is, does the Supreme Court's decision change what FAPE is? Does it change what the standard is for us here? Uh, the Tenth Circuit, in defining what FAPE is, did not talk about a rich standard, did not talk about a truly substantive standard, talked about that, quote, educational benefit as being uh, defined as, quote unquote, de minimis or trivial, meaning that some progress, even if it's limited progress, Ray, is sufficient uh, for that student to have met the FAPE standard and for the school district to have satisfied its FAPE standard under the IDEA and under the court's prior decision in Rally, the Supreme Court's decision in Rally. That standard of the Tenth Circuit, embraced by some other circuits, is not the standard that the Second Circuit up in New York, the Third Circuit, which is our circuit uh, court sitting in Philadelphia, uh, the Ninth Circuit sitting out on the West Coast, California, Hawaii, et cetera. It's not the higher standard that those circuits had previously uh, established. So there's a split then. The U.S. Supreme Court is called upon to look at a split. And considering a split in the circuits with some, including ours here in New Jersey, Third Circuit, having a higher expectation that that progress, that delivery of service is going to be greater, more substantive, uh, significant learning, meaningful benefit. That's language that our practitioners will um, uh, know, acknowledge, uh, articulated in a case called Ridgewood here. 
So if that higher standard is here and the Tenth Circuit saying trivial or de minimis, then who's right? That's what the Supreme Court is essentially called upon to, to clarify. Oftentimes the Supreme Court will wade into this and say which is, which is right. So what does the Supreme Court decide? Does the Supreme Court say we're right? Does the Supreme Court say the Tenth Circuit's right? The Supreme Court said the Tenth Circuit was wrong specifically. It said the standard is higher than de minimis. It's higher than trivial. And the court did not come out and say the Third Circuit's right. didn't come out and say that it, it has to be this word meaningful, significant learning. What it said uh, was that FAPE equals essentially, quote, progress appropriate in light of the child's circumstances, close quote. Appropriate in light of the child's circumstances. I think what uh, the court is essentially saying in, a, uh, in an eloquent way, in a delicate way, is what's the student's uh, intellectual capacity? Uh, what's the ability? What's the aptitude? Some students will have greater aptitude than others. What is appropriate for one will be different than the others. That's, they're using the word circumstance to address that. Considering the student's abilities equaling circumstances, do we feel the progress that was made? The learning that was engaged in was sufficient, was appropriate. If so, FAPE. If not, no FAPE. So what's the and impact th of districts now with this? So I, I, I think that what's important, and you know, we could talk, and I know we uh, in a half hour time flies by here. Uh, in the Andrew case, uh, in answering that question, the court looked at the micro of Andrew's needs. Uh, and we have a, a student here uh, with a sweet disposition, language of the court, uh, wonderful concerns for peers, yet behaviors interfered with ability to learn and inhibited uh, access. Behaviors were screaming in class, climbing over furniture, eloping, running out of class, uh, certain specific aversions. The parents claimed that progress had stalled, that the program was a, a repeat in many ways year after year after year, and they made a unilateral placement to place a student out. Uh, many of our board members listening in uh, will uh, Here's similarities in that to cases we have going on here in New Jersey. Uh, we litigate these cases regularly. Unilateral placements happen very regularly here in our state. Uh, the law permits yeah, parents yeah, to place students out. So that's what we have here. We've got a family that feels progress stalled, no FAPE, not sufficient progress. We're going to place the student out. And then parents bring the claim against the district to fund that. And if they prove that FAPE wasn't provided by the school district, and they win, they're funded. So the court here uh, determined that sufficient progress wasn't made, determined that the behaviors weren't uh, properly, individually, uniquely addressed. At a district school provided a behavioral improvement plan, uh, a BIP, implemented functional behavioral assessments, FBAs, in looking at the function, the cause of behaviors uh, to address them to maintain them, manage them, remedy them, uh, you know, address them, and to, to try and prevent the impact. Uh, so the court, in looking at the micro of what FAPE is and, and what is FAPE uh, not, in those circumstances, uh, concluded that it, it was not provided uh, and uh, that the circumstances uh, weren't met, uh, but were met in the out-of-district program. What's important for our pra practitioners to take away here in New Jersey? Has the standard changed? I don't think it has 
frankly. I think the language is a little bit different. Uh, the word ambitious is used by the court. Um, and some scholars, some practitioners are saying that the word ambitious now changes what the prior standard was. It's not just meaningful benefit, that it's something more, has to be even more challenging. And, and the court's not mm -hmm. saying that. The, court, the court's looking back to a time pre-1975 when students uh, were excluded, they were institutionalized, and speaks to the special ed laws themselves as being ambitious. Uh, addressing disabilities as being ambitious. Uh, it's noble. It's a noble effort. You know, what a joy that we have to address the, the needs of this precious cohort. Uh, the goals have to be appropriately ambitious. The special ed has to be appropriately ambitious in light of the child's circumstances. That's all. Uh, we need to see progress. We need to see learning. I think the takeaway, and for those school board members listening in, practitioners listening in, the takeaway from my perspective, goals and objectives need to be individualized. They know that. Data has to be maintained on a near daily, sometimes daily basis, sometimes minute to minute basis to show progress. Progress equals FAPE. Progress equals uh, appropriate. If progress isn't being, isn't being made, we need to answer the question of why not. We need to get back mm -hmm. and retool that program. Uh, and the Andrew Court is underlining that, is underlining the significance of progress and how important uh, ensuring that progress being made is uh, and how important maintaining data documentation that reflects progress, or if it doesn't reflect progress, again, how we get back to the table to address it. I think that's, that's the takeaway. So as a, a Board of Education and the, the Superintendent Administration, I think the, the key, another takeaway, I guess, is to make sure that your district is, has, is monitoring progress uh, in their uh, in their placements in the IEP, so that uh, more of a, more as a preventive measure, but also as an educational. If they're not making progress, then they have to start looking at other alternatives. Uh, yeah, they need to have that somewhere in their procedures as a uh, in the child study team or somewhere along the line. So the court says this. The court in Andrew says the educational program must be appropriately ambitious in light of circumstances. Just as advancement from grade to grade is appropriately ambitious for general ed students, uh, the goals may differ, but every child should have a chance to meet challenging objectives. Close quote. I, I think that's the the direction to our teams today. Uh, are these goals appropriately ambitious? Are they challenging enough? Uh, when we consider the impact of the difficulty, when we consider the circumstances, the intellectual ability, when we consider uh, what we fairly expect the student to learn or not. If we feel that they're not challenging enough, that we don't see uh, or expect to see uh, learning that's appropriate in light of the circumstance, we've got to retool it. If the student's not learning, as, as you say, it uh, doesn't mean necessarily we've got to place the student out or we've got to change the continuum. It means we've got to answer the question of why not. That's all. Mm -hmm. And if that's through evaluation, great. If that's through uh, teacher input and observation, because our teachers know our students best educationally, we need to listen to them. There's some great language in this decision that speaks to our educators. Uh, uh, the, the decision also says, quote, deference is based on the application of expertise in the exercise of judgment by school authorities. The act, the IDEA, vests these officials with responsibility for decisions of critical importance to the life of the disabled child, end quote. So, we're recognizing that parents provide incredibly important input. They know their students best. But our educators 
see the impact of that difficulty on a day-to-day -day basis. They need to make sure uh, that they're informing the team uh, of what that impact is uh, and that they're exercising their deference. Go ahead. We only have a couple minutes left. Uh, I do want to say, I mean, most districts, I can confidently say, probably don't want to go to court. <laughs> so right. what's a piece of, I mean, and because it's it's costly and it probably doesn't help educationally 90% of the time because you spend time and energy with experts in court, staff in court. Right. What could be right. something that they could do preventive uh, to so I, I think make sure three, that this doesn't three, occur? There are three key concepts uh, that, from a best practice standpoint to me, are critical in avoiding or managing or winning litigation. Uh, and that is a special ed program that's focused on individual need, a general ed program uh, that addresses individual need, number one. Uh, it's not one size fits all. Uh, it's not uh, being overly concerned about cost, although we've got stakeholder responsibilities, but it's making sure that our programs focus on individual need, right, number one. Number two, mm -hmm. compliant process. Let's make sure that our systems, our IEP software, uh, the way our teams are assigned, uh, how we are staffing our child study teams, uh, the funds were allocated for evaluations and manifestation determinations, et cetera. We have a compliant process. Two. Number three is progress. Three. Okay. Uh, assuming that we're focused on individual need, plugged into a compliant process, what should be netting out is progress. If it's not, as we've discussed, Ray, we've got to get back to the table and make sure that we're meeting it and we're addressing it. That's how we avoid litigation. That's how we address needs. That's how we stay compliant with the law. That's how we, at the end of the day, ensure we're addressing the best interests of this precious cohort of disabled students. Uh, that brings us to the end of the program. I'd like to thank you and, uh, for the board members listening. If you have a question for your administration, take those last three points and say, are we meeting these three issues? Uh, John, I'd like to thank you for joining me on the program. Thank you, Ray. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And uh, and um, um, actually, for those who don't know, I'll be seeing John later tonight. If you have nothing to do and you want to go to a Somerset County meeting on special ed, uh, and you want to hear John more for more than like less than 30 minutes, then you can come. Uh, John, thank you, and uh, uh, that brings us to the end of the program. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Be well. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye-bye.